Welcome to Listeners, this summer episode 118 of the Slump Buster Podcast. On today's episode, Kyle and I break down the World Series, Michigan, Michigan State, and what you can expect from NFL Week 8. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partners. Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their Nitro Cold Brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their Mammoth Blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their Hibiscus Teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code SLUMP, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products. CavemanCoffeeCo.com, promo code SLUMP. Guys, don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP and get yourself a case today. All right, y'all. It's time for the episode. Kyle Ledbetter, Juju Talk Sports. Let's get it. Let's bust a slump and happy Halloween. Enjoy. Kyle Ledbetter, I got one question for you. Can you dig it? No? Yes? Come on. Mm. See, this is the problem of you not understanding my movie reference here. As this is the Halloween edition of the Slump Buster, if you're watching this on YouTube right now, I am currently rocking from the 1979 movie, The Warriors. My co-host is currently Pirate Ninja, somewhere in between. Yeah, I do go. be a pirate out here. If you want to go all the way, I guess it's a ninja. I've got the I've got the face mask that's supposed to resemble a pirate, but even still, I have my uh, my Tampa Bay Buccaneers souvenir flag as well to hoist the sails here on today's podcast. Well, you do. I don't know why I made the pirate sound down. like John Gruden, but well, you know, like I, I don't know why I made the pirate sound exactly. Autumn there. wind starts to something, you know the. Raiders flag whales in the distance. I, I don't know. They're five and two. So at least they're producing after the John Gruden era came to an end, which kind of gives you some hope. You kind of wonder that playoff picture. It's starting to develop a little bit. And, you know, hey, first things first, I guess you got to answer yourself here. Cincinnati Bengals. Am I right? Stripe hype Tuesday last week, five and two Bengals. And by the way, you know, bragging two games up in the pick'em. Well, look who caught you after this week. Yeah. This guy right here, though I had a bet against my this own guy team and it was dressed, a good call. So, yeah. Yeah. Dressed like something that I still don't know what the reference is, but you know what? Congratulations. I've been wrong about the Bengals. I hedged my bet by drafting Jamar Chase in fantasy this year, and that has paid tremendous dividends for my six and one fantasy team. But even still, I, I will say I've been wrong about the Bengals quite a bit this year. If they have one of the hardest schedules in the play, uh, the rest of the season, which they do, but they can beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh handily and go into Baltimore and beat the Ravens by the largest margin in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals at Baltimore, then they don't need to worry about strength of schedule because the Cincinnati Bengals can make the playoffs even with playing one of the hardest schedules in the NFL left this year. So I will admit I have been wrong about the Bengals. I am slowly becoming a believer. Not going to say they're like Super Bowl contenders or anything, but the fact that I said that they didn't even come into the playoff conversation, I was wrong. I am admitting here on the podcast, I was wrong about the Cincinnati Bengals. And I apologize profusely to all the Stripe Hype Nation and Houday Nation out here and my buddy Blake Jude, who is our NFL draft guy on Take It Easy. Yes. I was wrong about the Bengals, and uh, I profusely apologize to the Stripe Hype Nation. What throws me off even more, it's not that they're just leading the AFC North. They're actually leading the conference right now. They have the tiebreakers over everyone, so if they just maintain on their schedule, it's how home field advantage in Cincinnati, I I don't think that's going to happen. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that's going to happen, but just that insane turnaround. I, I think too, it's similar to that 2019 Niners squad where everyone just kept doubting them and doubting them and doubting them. And then they're like, Oh shit. They almost beat the Packers. Oh shit. They beat the Ravens. They beat <laughs> this team. They beat the Chiefs. They beat the, and then it's just all of a sudden, wow, they're 13 and three or 13 and four. Oh, okay. Maybe we should have started paying a little bit more attention a little earlier on. You, you don't want to be late on a story, I guess. Right. It's like that old battle jack. You don't, you'd rather be one year early than one year late. I guess that's kind of like where the Bengals are and how people are as far as like, 
either being their critics or supporters, either they want to jump on the bandwagon right away, or they want to critique them because they are the Bengals. The one thing I always go back on when we question the Bengals as a franchise, they have had more success than some of the other lowly franchises that we think about. I mean, you look at the Lions, they're nowhere close to the Lions ballpark in terms of being as bad as we perceive them. I mean, that mid 2010s run, that 2014 squad, I still think was a dark horse Super Bowl contender that year. If it wasn't for, uh, I believe that was the year Andy Dalton like hurt his finger or something going into it and had to get benched. And yeah, AJ McCarron started the playoff thing. game. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on there. They've had, their franchise at least has two Super Bowl appearances. So it could be a lot worse in terms of like the NFL hierarchy of where we rank franchises. I think they're actually kind of historically, maybe about a mid tier. We did this ranking on take it easy with stripe hype a little bit ago. Cause we were having this conversation. And if you take just the last 20 years of NFL football, which has not been great for the Bengals, like they haven't won a playoff game since 1991. And yet even still, if you were to go through the AFC right now, I think they finished eighth out of 16 or ninth out of 16 among AFC franchises. Because if you think about it, the Cincinnati Bengals have had more success than the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, the Raiders, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know the Jaguars made the one AFC championship run, but that's doing only so much. The Jets might be interesting, right? Because, I mean, the Jets had at least the two AFC championship appearances back to back, that one run where they beat both Tom Brady and Peyton Manning with Mark Sanchez. Yeah, the Jets were hard to figure out because they now have the longest drought without making the playoffs. So outside of those two runs, it's difficult. But uh, the Bengals and the Chargers were kind of like in the same tier in terms of like same levels of success across the last 20 years, which is not bad at all. Like the Bengals have had strong quarterback play for now 25 straight years or so, or I guess 20 years when Carson Palmer was drafted. The Bengals haven't been terrible. They haven't been abjectly terrible, even though we consider them to be a perpetually mediocre franchise. I think the Bengals are finding something good here. I mean, and this is an easy cop-out because it's number one pick comparison, but they feel like last year's Cardinals. That's where I feel like the Bengals are at right now, where they've taken a step forward. They obviously had the number one pick. It's year two with the quarterback that they project to be the quarterback for the next decade. Obviously, Jamar Chase kind of replicates adding DeAndre Hopkins into the offense. Yes, can I say I was wrong there? That is my ultimate wrong take of the year because I was penesol, penesol, improve that line, improve that line. Jamar Chase is a baller through seven games has the all-time mark of someone with that span, like 762 yards. He's closing in on a thousand and we're not even halfway through the year. Jamal Chase is a stud 200 yards this past week. Um, like you said, you're a fantasy owner, the number two wide receiver this week. We talked about that on the slump buster fantasy football podcast. He's just been all, all world type performer. So yes, you've heard it here first folks. The Bengals hater is now semi I kind of like lukewarm. You're dipping your toes into the waters. It's kind of like the Josh Allen takes of a year ago. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's a a good point. I am wrong from this point forward. The question is just how wrong will I be? I am wrong from this point going forward. This is just a matter of how wrong I'm going to be. I just realized also I could be Zach Wilson. That's theoretically what my outfit is at this point with the headband and the mask. The one thing there is, are you wearing the special Mormon underwear? I, I think that that would really bring that whole outfit together. And also, do you have the anti-vax mom? I, I think that's an also key element to that costume. Is that a thing with Josh, with Zach Apparently, Wilson? I know that. <laughs> so his mom is now under Twitter criticism because I guess there's a thing going on currently with In-N-Out Burger in San Francisco where yep. they are not enforcing a vax mandate and basically zach wilson's mom posted on her instagram something along the lines of i support in and out's decision you shouldn't have to be vaccinated to go get a fast food burger which if you're making an unhealthy decision getting a fast food burger in the first place i guess that is a accurate semi-accurate statement as far as keeping in mind your health when it comes to vaccination status and i kind of agree with that one that seems a little silly going into a fast food restaurant and they're like yeah, I kind of see your Vax card. I'm like, that, that one's like, even you living in Cali, you have to think that's a little much. Uh, California has been interesting because everyone kind of paints them out as the pro public health side instead or anti-business in a certain way. But 
I think it's just kind of normal here. Like everyone, there's still mask mandates everywhere that you go. I mean, here I go to school, I wear masks everywhere. I have to get a COVID test every other week. It's pretty normal, I think, at a certain point. I, I don't think we have really much resistance anywhere going on here. So I think the way that it's kind of painted out is kind of the salacious details around vax mandates. I know wait, wait, San Francisco not, has. Not that. to put you on the spot here, but you're vaccinated though, right? Yeah, I'm vaccinated. And you still have to do a COVID test every week? Uh, every other week. So what it basically, what a good way to focus on the vaccine is basically like every single, you, you should be getting tested every three days. And what getting a vaccine does is you're basically opting out of that testing of sorts. Now they still want you to do it every two days because even though you're vaccinated, you can still test positive for COVID. And if you test positive for COVID, you can be an, an asymptomatic carrier that then passes it on to someone else. So that's the idea of getting tested every other week. See, when I got the vax, it was so I could live my life normally, not have to wear masks, not have to get tested. And I understand that there is breakthrough cases and certain uh, things that can go awry. However, I don't know, man, that seems a little bit much for me. That's a little bit too much for my blood there. And all things considered, yeah, I, I kind of lean towards in and out on this one. You know, one thing we should talk about here I am feeling a little bit good, too, because my World Series pick through one game, looking pretty good here. I mean, look out there. The Atlanta Braves' Charlie Morton pitched with a broken leg and managed to get out three batters. That has to be one of the ultimate tough guy things that I have ever seen. Someone pitching through a broken leg. Just think how much force you have to use. My dad always told me whenever I was growing up that you don't really, like, it's not all about arm strength. You, you pitch through your legs. You pitch through your lower body. So for Charlie Morton to even plant, that is just incredible. Um, the Braves, you know, go out there, get, I think it was a 5-1 final score in game one. Now they have home field advantage. They could, in theory, win the World Series in Atlanta. This, of course, could age poorly because it's a baseball take on a podcast that usually takes about a day distribution. But quick one game take on the Atlanta Braves Astro Series. I would like to laugh at the Charlie Morton thing, because usually when you have people going out of games, they're usually like, we're going to need to get an MRI. We're going to have to go evaluate. We're, we're, he's out for the game, but we're still evaluating. Within like an hour, they were like, nope, his leg's broken. Like they figured that out like that. that they were like, nope, his leg's broken. He's done for the playoffs. And I was like, wow, that usually never happens. Before the games, this is again, a, baseball is a long game joke. But before the end of the game, we already knew that he was out for the World Series. So you know, credit to Charlie Morton. That was a cool story. The Braves are really going to hurt without him because name another starting pitcher on the Braves besides Max Fried and Ian Anderson outside of Charlie Morton, who are Drew now going to start. <laughs> Is Drew Smiley really on the Braves? Oh, yeah, wow. Drew Smiley's on the Braves. I think he actually had a good playoff performance too in the Dodgers series. So who knows? I mean, the Braves have been kind of one of those team of destiny type bills anyway. So a Drew Smiley can give you a nine inning complete game shutout. And no one should be surprised because it's a baseball series where there's a lot of drama and luck element that comes into play here in the postseason. Yeah, the Braves hit really well on bringing in Charlie Morton as a starter. And now that they have to lose him for the playoffs, it's going to hurt them a little bit. But these are these are one of those weird moments where the Braves, these little moves that we didn't think mattered that much, have all of a sudden started to pay dividends. Jorge yeah. Soler was hitting below 200. And on the third pitch of the World Series, he hit a home run for the Atlanta Braves. And this stat may be wrong, but I did see it floating around Twitter. But he is the first, first inning, first at bat home run in World Series history. That just doesn't sound right for a series that has gone on for hundreds of years or a hundred years plus. That's first, just, first crazy. inning. It is the first first batter homer in a the, the first batter of the entire World Series. He's the first person. So not like game to game, like the first batter of the entire World Series to hit. No, a no I understand that. But even still, that sounds like a crazy stat considering how long the World Series has been going on. I've seen people just do that lead off home run thing all over and just ra random regular season games. And yet the fact that we get our first guy to lead off the world series with a home run, I think it's crazy. It's crazy that sports still gives us new things to talk about every year. There's someone breaking a new stat or a new record. And uh, yeah, no Jorge Soler, you mentioned it 13 home runs for the Royals, 14 home runs for the Braves down the stretch, hitting a huge home run to get them started in the world series I love Jock Peterson's little statement beforehand too. We are those motherfuckers. And I think that that's just that type of energy you have to have 
if you're going to be the underdog in a playoff run, you just have to have that uh, everyone's against us, chip on your shoulder type mentality. Yeah, I, I really like what I'm seeing for the Braves. Then again, maybe the Astros have them exactly where they want them, an Atlanta-based sports team with a lead in a championship series. So keep that in mind as we progress. Uh, let's get into a big game in college football, though. Let's start talking about this one we got going on in the Big Ten. Number six, Michigan. Number eight, Michigan State. Both teams entering 7-0. and Obviously, Niners fan here. I was pro Jim Harbaugh for years. And when he went over to Michigan, stayed pro Harbaugh. And I've always found it unique, this conversation around Harbaugh as far as how much longer does he got in Michigan? How much longer do you go? The guy's giving you eight, 10 wins consistently in college football. And that's a lot to ask, but you're judged by beating your rivals. He currently has a three and three record against Michigan State. He has never beat Ohio State. And those are two key factors that are used against him whenever people are talking about his job security moving forward. But he has perhaps his best, most talented Michigan team that he's ever had. Now, there's questions at the quarterback position. Cade McNamara, not exactly a dynamic thrower. They've been really living with their running game, which has been one of the best in the nation, of course, when you consider uh, Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins have been giving them a versatile one-two punch. Now, they're going against this Michigan State team that has been one of the biggest surprises in college football. They are 7-0 and under Mel Tucker in his second year. Mel Tucker wasn't even their first choice. He was behind Luke Fickle in Michigan State's like rankings as far as who they wanted as their head coach. I know the fan base wasn't excited about it, but here you go. Second year, they only had two wins in his first year. In that 2020 COVID-shortened year, they only had two wins. But those two wins against number eight Northwestern, Northwestern, number eight. That sounds crazy. Yeah, that tells I, I you forgot was a, that was a thing. That tells you that was a COVID year. Um, and then number 13, Michigan. So obviously got the most recent win in this series, beating Michigan when they were ranked last year. Out the gate here, I'm going to say my pick is going to be Michigan. I think that they just have the right personnel to be able to contain, uh, you know, Kenneth Walker, who's a top five Heisman candidate this year. They have a good run defense. And if you could keep the running game contained for Michigan State, put it all in their quarterback, Peyton Thorne, I, I think that that's your opportunity to win. Uh, Aiden Hutchins is a top 10 NFL prospect. And I think that they could develop a good pass rush. I, I think I'm going with Michigan. They are currently the road favorite by about three points, four points. Last I checked the line. And I think that that's going to hold up. Uh, what about you, Kyle? Where are you on this one? I am also leaning Michigan here, which I think is just kind of what the the nation is going at at large, is that it's like, we feel like Michigan's the favorites, but we're not like sold that they're going to win the game. I, I joked earlier in the year that Michigan State has had the same quarterback for like 13 years. It's just been a different version of basically the exact same quarterback from Lewerke to Kirk Cousins. I forgot the guy who was just there before, I, but I have heard the Peyton Thorn to Kirk Cousins comparison. Some people think that he has NFL aspirations. So Kirk Cousins, uh, yeah, that would be appropriate. Yeah. Connor Cook in there too. Like they're, they usually get drafted in like the sixth round or something like that. They're, they're never really that good, but they're, they're good enough. Like Michigan State's just kind of been trying to find that quarterback for about 13 years. And Peyton Thorne's kind of the same version of that. So I feel like I know what Michigan State is, except for the fact that now they have this all NCAA running back in Kenneth Walker. And you mentioned him before, you've thrown the stats out like he is really good. Kenneth Walker is really good, and it's a big reason why Michigan State is as good as they are, only behind the fact that they haven't really played anyone actually that good. Yeah. Want to hear his numbers? 900 yards, it. nine rushing touchdowns. He's putting up Derrick Henry-type numbers this year, so that's why he's elevated himself into that top five conversation for the Heisman. He literally has the fifth best odds, which may be because it's a bad quarterback year, but you have a standout performance by a running back like uh, Walker here. It's definitely going to put some notice on the nation. Um, in fact, I've heard a lot of people talk about this may be a year in which we rethink how we go about Heisman voting because it's not just best player and best team. It's just best player in college football, regardless if Michigan state finishes the year undefeated or not, Kenneth Walker still has a legitimate chance at winning this thing. People are even throwing out B. John Robinson and Texas has lost multiple games this year, but mm -hmm. people will even tell him a B. John Robinson. You still have guys like Matt Corral sitting there at an Ole Miss and then Bryce Young, of course, who's currently the favorite. 
But Kenneth Walker's had one of those years that's really put him in that conversation. He's definitely going to be a guy that plays on Sundays. Yeah. And this is the first time in like a decade that we haven't had an obvious Heisman winner, right? If you go back a little bit, you had obviously Devonta Smith. Everyone knew was going to win it last year. Um, Joe Burrow ran away with it. Kyler Murray ran away with it. Baker Mayfield ran away with it. Lamar Jackson ran away with it. Derrick Henry ran away with it. Mariota, one of the greatest college seasons ever. Jameis Winston and against uh, Johnny Manziel was probably the last time we had a contested Heisman race. And that was, again, best quarterback, best team. And we went with Jameis Winston that year. And then he ended up being the number one pick anyways. But still, maybe this is the reevaluation. Maybe this is analytics seeping into college football or also the fact that the best teams in college football don't have a star quarterback this year. Maybe that's just part of it. But even still, I think the the matchup I'm interested in this game a, a bunch. And to be fair, I have not watched very much Michigan football this year, but I am interested to see Michigan's offense against Michigan State's defense in this game because Michigan State might have the best defense in the Big Ten in terms of stopping offenses from scoring points. I know that's not everything when it comes to defensive evaluation. Yeah, strength of schedule, I think, is also a thing that you have to consider there because Michigan State, their best team they played is currently Miami, and Miami fell off the face of the earth after yeah. that game. I, I said that a little bit before. I'm like, the, the only difference, uh, the only thing keeping them afloat is the fact they have not played anybody good this year. This is the way the Big Ten always does. I was joking about this a couple of weeks ago where I'm like, there's five teams ranked in the Big Ten, but they're all going to start beating each other up real quick soon. And that came early because Iowa lost to Purdue. Penn State lost to Brett Bielema in Illinois. Like it, it came early on the Big Ten beating everyone. I thought it was going to be like Penn State and Michigan and Michigan, Michigan State and Ohio State playing Michigan State. And they were all just going to beat each other up. But now they they got to work early this year on beating each other up with Illinois pulling off maybe the upset of the year in the nine overtime game from either yeah. heaven or hell. I'm not exactly sure, but craziest stat there. Uh, you know, one thing that everyone's talking about, too, with Michigan and mentioned that uh, Kay McNamara isn't the most dynamic quarterback. He makes smart decisions with the football doesn't turn it over but there's a lot of people that are calling for this jj mccarthy kid to step up and take over that reign so you have a little bit of a quarterback competition it makes me wonder if michigan state does have a good start to this game is holding michigan's offense if they would be willing to make that transition similar to what we saw with spencer rattler and caleb williams earlier in the year yeah and i think it's interesting because for Michigan, one of the things they've been good at in the past is like drawing out these like nine minute drives where they can end up holding the ball long enough to score points. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that against Michigan State. I could be wrong. Again, I have not watched much Michigan football this year. Put that disclaimer out there. But I don't know if they're going to be able to do that against Michigan State's defense. And if that's the case. I think the way that they're, we're going to get to that point might not even be with turnovers. It might, just, I mean, turnovers will, will speed up the transition, but it might just be like punt, punt, punt. If we see that over and over again, that's when you're going to start to feel a little concerned because if the offense is stagnant, then that's when you can kind of look up and say, what do we have to throw at them? If, if nothing we're doing on offense works, because Michigan doesn't have the most innovative offenses of all time. Like Jim Harbaugh does just enough on offense to get by and it benefits from having Andrew Locker, Colin Kaepernick as your quarterback to make everything that much better. But even still, they don't have the most innovative offenses of all time. So if nothing starts working in this game, which I think is possible, I just assume Big Ten games will always be both teams scoring in the 20s and points are going to be at a premium then does Michigan hit the panic button at that point? If Michigan State jumps out to a really early lead, if they have a pick six, I don't know when they hit the panic button on that. Uh, to, you were talking about Jim Harbaugh earlier too, and I found interesting that Michigan and him kind of both agreed, like you're not worth top five coach money, but we'd still like to keep you as the coach. So I think Jim Harbaugh- I think Harbaugh that's is Jim Harbaugh's kind of like mentality. I, I think that's the thing that I almost love about the guy that, He's very honest. He's very open about like his personnel, his players, his own performance. He's, I think he's the most critical of himself. And I think that's why players tend to gravitate towards him and love him. And remember, I mean, I kind of remember in the way that you remember Northwestern was ranked number eight at one point last year. Like remember at the end of last year, Jim Harbaugh was kind of like throwing, his agent was like leaking his name in coaching searches, like with the Detroit Lions or 
connecting him with interest to the Chicago Bears. Like he was trying to see what other options were out there. And when people realized there wasn't really much of an interest for Jim Harbaugh, he re-upped with Michigan for I think like a 42% pay cut or something like that. I yeah. think now he's like the fifth highest paid coach in the Big Ten. Oh, believe though, if Michigan does make the college football playoffs, I, I think even if they don't make the college football playoffs, there's still gonna be some NFL teams that give him a call this winter. Because I, I feel as though that they feel Jim Harbaugh is a coach that at bare minimum has made it back to the Super Bowl. The only thing that you hold against Jim is he wears on you quick. He does have that type of personality, that temperament that only lasts him about four or five years in most destinations. That's why it's impressive that he's been with Michigan for this six-year stretch and perhaps longer given their success that they're having this season. Again, it's all going to come down to rivalry weeks, though. Is he going to beat Michigan State? Is this going to be the year he gets over the hump and beats Ohio State? Now, that could create a little bit of a triangle there at the top of who makes it to the college football playoffs if Michigan wins this game and then Ohio State still gets the best of Michigan, then that's going to create, oh, well, I guess Ohio State's back in there again with the one loss to Oregon. With all the chaos this year, this one does feel quite obvious. Whoever wins the Big Ten championship will get into the playoffs, and there will be one team out of the Big Ten. I don't know exactly how the math is going to work out on that because of tiebreaker situations, but it feels like even through all the chaos, someone is going to run the table through the gauntlet. My bet would be Ohio State is going to beat Michigan State, beat Penn State, beat Michigan, get to the conference championship, beat Iowa. They'll be good. Maybe Michigan does that where they, you know, beat Michigan State, beat Penn State, beat Ohio State, beat Iowa in the conference championship. I feel like someone's going to run the gauntlet. Either Ohio State or Michigan feel most likely, but Michigan State is technically undefeated still at the time of recording. So theoretically, Michigan State could beat Michigan, beat Penn State, beat Ohio State. It's still technically possible and they'll make the college football playoff for the second time because people forget Michigan State did make the college football playoff a few years ago. Uh, They got blanked by Alabama, but they were still in the playoff. It's like how people forget that Washington was in the playoff too a few years ago. Hopefully we never forget when Cincinnati makes it to the playoff this year because they seem on pace to run the table. And I think given what they did last year, uh, they're going to have the opportunity to legitimately make it. So like you mentioned, it seems like there's two spots that are going to be dedicated to Georgia and Alabama. There's going to be Cincinnati who it just by sheer record and sheer volume of wins, they're going to make it. And then it's going to come down to who wins that Big Ten. I agree with what you're saying. I'm just hoping that it is Michigan, at least this weekend. You and I are aligned here. We are both taking the Michigan Wolverines to beat Sparty in Michigan State Stadium. (laughs) Okay, let's get into some NFL picks, right? Let's get into that pick. And like I said, we are tied. So we got to start deciding on who's going to start win this thing throughout the remainder of the year. Let's start it off in Cleveland where Mike Tomlin will in fact be on the Steelers sideline. In fact, Mike Tomlin is saying that there is not a booster who has a pocket deep enough to take him off of that Steelers sideline as he has one of the best jobs in not only the NFL, but professional sports. And I am inclined to agree. Loved Mike Tomlin's statement on that when I asked about that, because I I think it's great when coaches could just shoot that down right away. But the Steelers coming off by week will be facing the Cleveland Browns as three and a half point underdogs. The Browns played on Thursday night football as of this recording still up in the air, whether or not Baker Mayfield is going to be starting for the Cleveland Browns case Keenum might be out there for another week as it just appears that every report that comes out about Baker Mayfield's shoulder just gets worse and worse. Uh, Nick Chubb, he should be back out there for the Cleveland Browns. Not that they necessarily need it because Dearness Johnson had himself a day uh, in lieu of both Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Denzel Ward might be out this game. That is another thing to keep in mind. He went out late in the Broncos Thursday night game. And if he is out, then that's going to mean the Steelers wide receivers, Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson have a lot more room to work. And Najee Harris uh, on week to rest up. He's been the most targeted, most used player on the Steelers offense. Uh, Right now, fun stat that I want to throw in there. So Najee Harris is averaging as many yards after catch as yards. So if you didn't know that, he's literally just catching at the line of scrimmage and running <laughs> running for his life there. So Najee is doing his work. Also, uh, JOK is going to be out for the Browns as well. High ankle sprain. Um, All right. Who do I want to go with here? Who do I want to go with? The Steelers are looking good recently. They started to pick up a little bit of momentum. They're sitting at three and three. The Browns are sitting currently at four and three. 
you know, I'm going to decline to you for this first one because I actually have to do some research because it's really not up to me. It's up to preseason me when it comes to Browns pick. So I got to see what I picked earlier the season. So you go for That's it. My right. Friend. I forgot you're still perfect on the Browns picks at this point. Via uh, you've picked every single Browns game correct from your preseason predictions. So we're going to keep riding along with that one. So I have the Pittsburgh Steelers to win this week against the Cleveland Browns outright, despite the fact that they are underdogs at the dog pound. I don't trust Pittsburgh's offense that much, but I think they can get by with just enough. Deontay Johnson has been the number one wide receiver on that team this year, which is remarkable given that Chase Claypool is a six foot four tight end who happens to play wide receiver and has four, four forty speed. But yeah, Deontay Johnson has been the true wide receiver one this year for Pittsburgh. It does just enough. The thing that gives me hope if you're Pittsburgh, even if Baker Mayfield plays is just that defense is that Pittsburgh's defense this year is still ranked high in DVOA in the league. I should make sure exactly what it is if I'm giving out this information at this point. They've been a pretty good team this year so far. TJ Watch should be healthy coming back off the bye week. By the way, they're ranked eighth in DVOA this year in the NFL on defense, and that is still without about three games of, of TJ Watt this year. The Steelers will be pretty good in the secondary. The Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are still questionable at this point, but either way, I think the Browns are going to struggle to move the ball through the air in this game. Uh, I will take Pittsburgh to win one of these slugfest type of games against the Cleveland Browns, kind of similar to what the the Steelers-Bills game was at the start of the year, where it might be like one of those 20 to 17 type of scores. So I feel good about Pittsburgh this week. Okay, like I said, it is not up to... Julian Martinez as of October 27th. It is up to Julian Martinez as of mid-August. Julian Martinez in August selected the Cleveland Browns. So I, I'm going to ride with it just because at this current juncture, I am still 7-0 in my preseason projections. So we'll see if we can run that to 8-0. Some things that I will say in the Browns' favor, in that Monday night game against the Steelers, or Sunday night game, I guess, uh, the Seahawks with Alex Collins, backup running back Alex Collins, we're able to still put up a decent running game, 120 yards, a touchdown. Alex Collins did a number on their run game. And of course, Dearness Johnson and Nick Chubb, if Nick Chubb is healthy, can replicate those numbers in um, oodles and tandems there. The Steelers are also one of the worst teams in terms of forcing turnovers. Yes, they have a solid defense, but the fact that they are not able to force turnovers has been a thing that has severely limited them from being at the top of every list there. Stefan Tuit is uh, not anywhere near being close to playing, is what uh, Mike Tomlin was saying recently. I will say in the Steelers' favor, I did really like this quote from Eric Ebron earlier in the week. They whooped our ass and sent us home. If you can't get motivated for that, you shouldn't be playing football. So the Steelers are coming in this game motivated. That is one thing that you, you would say on their behalf. I'm just going to say that at this point, since I'm riding with the Browns, they have been living in the Steelers' head rent-free, and sometimes that's not the best place to be in an NFL game. So Steelers for me, Browns for you, on to the next game. Let's go into the AFC South. We're going to be talking about the Titans, who are one-point favorites on the road in Indianapolis. Good thing for Indianapolis, they won't have an atmospheric uh, river developing anywhere near the stadium this week as <laughs> they're playing inside Lucas Oil. I went with them last week, obviously, as a reverse jinx, hoping that my Niners would actually get that win. Turns out that it just added a game to me in the pick'em, So I, I guess I will take that victory. Uh, one thing in the Colts' benefit, Carson Wentz has been playing really well through the last couple of games. Take away what happened in the weather. You figured most of the quarterbacks were going to turn over the ball. There was going to be some sloppiness. He could add an 80-yard touchdown, Naeem Hines, and the game plan turned into let's just pick on these 49ers DBs and just throw balls that will be defensive pass interference. And hey, credit to them. It worked. Uh, he did get benefited from this, that his interception, which was one of the worst interceptions in league history, got turned into a fumble. So he still technically only has the one interception on the year. The Titans are coming in this game. They are on fire though. Beat the breaks off of the Chiefs, just absolutely decimated them. As a Patrick Mahomes fantasy owner, the fact that I had to look up at one point and see Patrick Mahomes had negative fantasy points for me definitely uh, just hit me in the chest, hit me in the heart there. I got to tell you, though, I am upset at you for this one because I, in my heart of hearts, wanted to go with the Titans last week, but you talked me into the Chiefs. 
you said Patrick Mahomes, and I was like, you know what? Can the Chiefs really go three and four? That doesn't sound right. That doesn't make sense to me. So I ended up going with the Titans. Even though if you look back at that preview video, I said all these things, everything that you would say if you were going with the Titans, and then I went with the Chiefs. So I hate myself for that one. But will I make the same mistake this week? The Titans did win this game earlier in the year. Do I see them sweeping the Colts? I guess it's a question. Do I see them sweeping the Colts when the Colts have been playing better football over the last few weeks? I'm going to say the Colts get the stop here. I'm going to say that the Colts get the upset victory here at home. Being the home underdog, I think, is always a thing that you look at Vegas-wise in question. And this in a division game, I, I think the Colts will step up and play their best football in this game. So, yep, riding with Indy. What about you, Kyle? This is the classic letdown game, isn't it, for the Titans, that they've now beaten the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs in back-to-back weeks. Uh, the, the Chiefs one was difficult because they won the game with no Derrick Henry rushing touchdowns. And if you're like myself cradling my Mahomes jersey at the end of that game, like that was one of the easier ones left on the schedule for the Chiefs. Like their schedule is the hardest in the NFL the rest of the season. The Titans were one of the easy ones that they were supposed to get a win and they couldn't even get that one. So Kansas City's going to beat up on the Giants this week as a tune-up, but who knows? Maybe they'll beat the Packers by 21 next week and we'll stop worrying about the Chiefs. But I, I think that the obligatory what's wrong with the Chiefs conversations this week were uh, a little bit well-deserved at this point. To bring it back to this game, I am going to roll again contrarian and take the Tennessee Titans to sweep the season series against the Indianapolis Colts because I feel confident that the Tennessee Titans are a better team than the Indianapolis Colts. Do I feel confident in this game? No, it's a total toss-up. I'm just hoping that you messed up and then I can win the game anyways. But even still... I think that Tennessee... Here's the key. Tell me it's a freebie, Kyle. Tell me it's a freebie. I, go it's ahead. Not a freebie. Dare, dare you. <laughs> it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up. And I'm going to take my odds with that. I'm going to take my odds with a 50-50 coin toss type of game. And maybe I can gain a game back after dropping one last week. But even still, I do like the Titans to win the season series against the Colts because the Titans are a better team than the Colts. Uh, I love the Carson Wentz stat that he... I mean, they called it a fumble on the shuffle pass, but... I love that before that Carson Wentz had the longest streak without throwing an interception in the NFL this year. He still currently has it because he only threw the one. And after him, I believe is Matt Ryan, which is wonderful. Uh, I, it was either that or Matt Ryan held the record before Carson Wentz took it over. Um, it's something like that because these interception stats are just weird in the NFL like that. But yeah, Carson Wentz has been limiting the turnovers game managing his way to a QBR that puts him in the top half of the league. So Carson Wentz is not an abjectly terrible quarterback. And that's something that maybe some people weren't certain about coming into this year. Colts defense battled injuries, getting back to full health. Quentin Nelson's coming back slowly, but steadily for the Colts at this point. So they're getting there with the injury types. The Titans obviously are recovering from injuries as well. I just like the Titans offense to be able to generate points against the Indianapolis Colts this week. So I will roll with the music city for, I think the first time this year, I think I've picked against the Titans against the Seahawks picked against them against the chiefs. So I think this is the first time I'm rolling with the Tennessee Titans this year. Okay. I think we are currently against each other in two games to this point. You went with yep. the Steelers. I went with the Browns. You're going with the Titans. I'm going with the Colts. Okay, let's go into the third game in our slate. The New England Patriots are going in as five and a half point underdogs into Los Angeles. Now, speaking of a game, the brakes beating off of you. The Chargers have had to sit at home a week thinking about what happened to them in Baltimore, which one of those weirder games on the schedule when you talk about two teams that we thought going into it were evenly matched and one team just ran away with the victory I did not see that coming uh, from the Chargers when they traveled on the road again they've had a week to think about there they had a bye now did the Patriots have a bye that's that's something to talk about because what the Patriots did to the Jets was oh my god I, I was actually listening to your last podcast where you're talking about it I didn't think they had 50 points in them either like I thought the Patriots could beat you by multiple scores, certainly beat you if you're the Jets by multiple scores, but to put up 50 on you, that um, is a huge indictment on everything that they are currently doing, whether that's Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, or the drafting of Zach Wilson. 
everyone's currently on panic alert there in New York because of it. What I will say, though, and this is a unique matchup, is that the Patriots, their running game, and we talked about this on the Slump Buster Fantasy Football Podcast too, had three top 13 fantasy running backs this week. They had <laughs> Damian Harris as the third rank. They had Brandon Bolden as the sixth ranked running back in the week. And then J.J. Taylor was the 13th ranked running back on the week. Going against this Chargers run defense that was allowing 160 rushing yards per game. In fact, they were allowing in their last two games, 400 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns between the Browns and the Ravens. The Browns obviously have a great running game and the Ravens have a committee of running backs. So pretty much everyone's been running on the Chargers. So if you're the Chargers, the one thing you had to take inventory on in this bye week is how can we stop this running game? How can we stop the Patriots running game? Because they're not going to compete in the playoffs if they don't start doing that against better teams. The good thing for them, the Patriots this year, their three wins have come against the Texans and the Jets twice. So I don't know if the Patriots are a good team. And that's why I'm going to go with the Chargers, even though I still have those hollow memories of what was it, 45 to nothing last year. So maybe that's sat in the Chargers players' minds as well when they're thinking about beatdowns from either last week or last year. The Patriots kind of feel like a, a four and three team that happens to be three and four because of that Damian Harris fumble at the end of the Dolphins game. And you could maybe argue the Nick Folk field goal against the Bucks too, but also Tom Brady played one of the worst games of his career in that game, which is just, you could say that that's partially the Patriots undoing and the, the strength of Bill Belichick. I just like to think it's just a weird flute game that Brady just happened to play terribly in Foxborough during his first game. But I'd say that the Patriots are like a four and three type of team. And I guess that means that the Chargers are slightly better than the Patriots at this point, but there's also a lot of really good teams in the AFC. So it's hard to figure that out here. Uh, I am going to take the Chargers in this game to win. I'm going to trust Vegas when they say five and a half point spread on this one. So I feel pretty good about the Chargers coming off the bye week. Last time we talked about the Chargers, I believe, was before the Ravens game. And I uh, talked up my man, Mike Williams, also on my six and one fantasy football team this year. And that man put up a dud of a game against the Baltimore Ravens. You want to talk about what the Ravens did well? They took away Keenan Allen. They took away Mike Williams. So if you're the Patriots, you know what Bill Belichick does. He takes away your favorite weapons. So they are going to be charged with having developed a strong running game with either Larry Roundtree or Austin Eckler to get some points on the board because let's face it, the Patriots, Bill Belichick, he still does have that record against quarterbacks less than 25. What does Justin Herbert qualifies as a quarterback less than 25 years of age. So I think this can be a lot closer. I agree with you. I think Vegas with the spread, they're doing a good job in picking this because I, I do give the Patriots a chance. They've been close in the majority of their games. I just think that we don't know how good of a coach Brandon Staley is going to be off the bye week, but based off the coach and his coaching tree, Sean McVay, I would say that he's going to be at that elite level. And certainly he has the elite talent to be a team that's talent depleted like the Patriots. Yeah, I would say the Chargers are going to do enough even against the Patriots defense, which has been pretty good this year. Um, I was talking today on Take It Easy about the Patriots and how they they are overachieving given the talent that they have on offense. They're ranked 15th currently in DVOA on the season. That offense is definitely not a top you know, they're probably a bottom fourth defense or bottom fourth offense in the NFL in terms of talent across the board. So they are overachieving. Mac Jones is going to have to make plays in order for them to win. We talked about the two games that they lost, but that also includes the Cowboys game. I think two weeks ago where that went to overtime that maybe shouldn't have gone to overtime because the Cowboys should have won the game. But the point still being that the Patriots have kept pretty much all their games close. It's why I would probably bet the Patriots on the point spread this week is five and a half feels like a lot of points. That might be one of my locks over on the take it easy pick them pool this week, but I will take the chargers to win outright because I don't have the cojones to pick the Patriots at this time. So I'm going to take the safe pick and take the chargers there because the chargers are going to do enough. The Patriots are going to have to win by Mac Jones or the defense. Maybe they get a pick six in there, but most likely they're going to need Mac Jones to make plays for them to win. And if that's going to be what it comes down to, like the Chargers chances. That should be a thing we develop a graphic for the cojones pick of the week, you know, cojones pick of the week, you know, go classic shock jock radio with it. Um, Okay. The next game on it. And this might be a cojones pick of the week bucks at saints. 
The Saints are five and a half point underdogs in the Superdome. Ever think you would say that? I mean, certainly with all those years of success with Drew Brees and Sean Payton, five point underdogs in their own home stadium. It doesn't sound right. And I think part of that is because there's a lot of question on what Jameis Winston is this year, whether he's a good quarterback, whether he's a bad quarterback. What I will tell you is he's a quarterback that hasn't had a lot of opportunity. He is currently 29th in pass attempts on the year. That is less pass attempts than Jacoby Brissett, who only started, I believe, just the two games there. Jameis Winston has a lot to prove in this game, certainly going against his old team as well. This is the Jameis Winston revenge game. We actually finally get it. Jameis Winston lining up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I kind of wonder in that Monday night game, so the Bucs are also on short rest as they played Monday night. Did they get caught up looking forward to this matchup and they didn't pay much attention to the Seahawks? They also had a play in the rain, but did they perhaps look ahead and said, ah, the Seahawks team without Russell Wilson, we can easily breeze by, by them. We have to worry about the Bucs next week. That kind of makes me wonder. And that's why... Here is my Cajones pick of the week. I will go with the Saints to upset the Buccaneers in their home stadium, in the Superdome. And I, I think the reason I'm, I'm going with this in particular is I, I said, I think that the Bucs will split the series with the Saints either way. You have to remember the Saints did sweep this regular season series against the Bucs just last year. The Saints do have a good defense still. They have a really good defense. They have a top five NFL defense, I would say. And Tom Brady's going into this, you know, Antonio Brown, he's already looking like he's going to be ruled out, um, which that takes away one weapon for him. Antonio Brown, I think, was pivotal in the playoff game, whereas they didn't really have Brown or Brown was getting eased in the offense whenever they faced the Saints in the regular season. So it's a very similar matchup aside from where do you compare Jameis Winston to Drew Brees last year? And I think most of us would consider Jameis Winston in terms of ability is still an upgrade over Drew Brees last year with the broken ribs and everything. Michael Thomas still being out, that's again a thing that hurts this team maybe by next week. But in terms of just week eight, Halloween night, Saints, Bucks, I'm going with the Saints. I mean, I'm I'm dressed as a pirate, so I gotta I gotta pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here, of course. You gotta sing a pirate's life for me, man. Um, yo, ho, yo, yo, ho, a pirate's life for me. Let us wave the souvenir Buccaneers flag here on the podcast. Yeah, I, I will roll with Tampa here because they are big. And uh, I guess I might be the Baja cojones of the week. I have uh, not made the the bold proclamations. I guess the Steelers were technically underdogs, but I, I've not made the bold proclamations this week in favor of picking the, the massive underdogs the way that you have. I'm the person who t- takes the chalk when you pick the massive underdogs. It you got to go repeat. pragmatic with it. Again, just... Call it a freebie, Kyle. Come on, do it for me. Come on, give me, give me a bit. Say that's a freebie. Just saying. Okay. You know what? This one feels like a freebie. This one feels a little bit like a freebie because if it is. if you're the Saints, I know you beat the Seahawks on Monday, and and you you're doing just enough to get by because now we know the Panthers are terrible. We knew the Falcons were terrible coming into the season, so you're doing just enough to stay alive. But coming out of that game, like you can't be feeling good if you're the Saints, right? Like I know the offense kind of just became, let's give the ball to Alvin Kamara. Let's dominate time of possession. We don't need to score points because the Seahawks are totally incapable of scoring points. But you can't be feeling great coming out of that game if you're a Saints fan. Like Jameis Winston has been basically like Jared Goff this year where he's not, I mean, Jared Goff has made some like Jameis Winston type of plays where he's like throwing the ball out of bounds on fourth down. And Jameis has had less of those than we're used to, but they're basically just game managing Jameis at this point. And that feels kind of weird because the Saints offense had, it was always such a high powered offense and maybe like getting Michael Thomas back will change it a bit. Or yeah. maybe this is the week they open it up because the Buccaneers, and this is true, have no corners and no safeties at all. They are signing schmucks off the street the same way the University of Arizona held open tryouts at this point. They tried to bring in Richard Sherman. He couldn't stay healthy. They got like nobody left on that team at this point. So maybe this is the week to open up the offense and let Jameis throw those deep balls at this point. I can't believe I'm saying this, but they really miss Taysom Hill. Like they really miss Taysom Hill at this point, Uh, whether the Taysom Hill package gets you in at the goal line or whether they use him as a a pseudo tight end, like they they are really missing him at this point. Saints offense is just not that good. Like I know, I know it's better than what we saw the the putrid Drew Brees trying to play through basically a car crashes worth of injuries last year, but 
it's just so boring. It's like Sean Payton's trying to hide the quarterback the whole way through. And this was finally the game where they used Alvin Kamara effectively, but you're not going to be able to do that against the Bucs because the Bucs have just an amazing run defense and an awful pass defense, which means you're going to need Jameis the same way everyone's been playing the Bucs this year, except the Chicago Bears, because the Chicago Bears offense is abjectly terrible, maybe the worst in the NFL. But everyone except the Chicago Bears is basically like, we're going to use pass like the run. We're going to throw screen passes. We're going to throw little two yard outs uh, on first down to try and gain yards the same way someone might do a power running play with another quarterback or another running back or whatever it might be. We're going to use short passes and we're going to spread the field because the Buccaneers don't have any help in the secondary. So do you trust Jameis Winston throwing the ball 45 times a game? Do you trust Jameis Winston to complete 70% of his passes in a game? Maybe it is, maybe it's not, but it gives me pause for concern because the blueprint to beat Tampa Bay is pretty obvious. You just spread the field, use the pass like the run, you can generate enough points and then maybe stop Tom Brady enough times. No one really knows how to stop their offense except for some reason the Dallas Cowboys until the very end of that game. But yeah. And I guess, you know, the Patriots did slow them down as well, but I feel like that one was just Tom Brady having a terrible game. Like if Tom Brady's playing like a, the quarterback we know Tom Brady to be, which is pretty damn good, doesn't have to be MVP Tom Brady, just has to be like good enough Tom Brady. There's not a lot of ways to stop that offense because they can beat you so many different ways. But at least with the scoring points against the Bucs, it's pretty obvious how you get 24 points, no matter what schmucks you're putting out there at wide receiver if you're the Saints. So maybe that's the plan. Maybe they'll let uh, Jameis throw the ball all over the field this week. I just don't know how they're going to win the game other than their defense, like forcing three turnovers against Tom Brady or getting a pick six or something like that. Like one of those weird games, like what happened against the um, the Packers to start the season. Maybe that happens and you get to be abjectly right, but I'm going to roll with Tampa for now. And uh, I know, I know I just wanted to to do the wrestling character promo and say that this is a, uh, this is a gimme type of game, but yeah. this, there is a path to victory for the saints because the bucks can be beaten by anyone at this point. If they just score enough points. I could see the pathway for the Saints in this game. That, that's the main thing. I, I just see the pathway. You mentioned the bad cornerback play for the Buccaneers. I think that that's definitely where they have the opportunity to come and play. I think this is a good Sean Payton game. I think this is where Sean Payton really starts to open it up because he knows that he's going to have to have his best game plan of the season to win this game. And this is a very important game because as we stand here currently, the Bucs are 6-1. and one, The Saints are still just 4-2. and two. Whether they got four and two by hook or by crook, they are four and two in the playoff picture. And I, I think that they still had the personnel to win a Super Bowl. I, I still believe that they, when you look at that roster, you look at the talent they have on there, they still have the personnel to win a Super Bowl. Not saying they will, but they can be in that category. So if you want to do that, you want to set yourself up in the best situation possible. And for the Saints, we know that situation is home field advantage. So huge weekend I, I think that they come out show out their best game plan and beat the Buccaneers I've got a question for you real quick before yes. we move on who is the worst quarterback you could put on the Saints right now and win the Super Bowl who is the worst quarterback you could put on the Saints and win the Super Bowl <laughs> I would say someone that's more like a game manager to keep it safe and you know this might be a dig at myself and my own team I would say if you put like Jimmy Garoppolo or someone on this team Ooh. they could win a Super Bowl see I think I need a little bit more I think I think mine would be Josh Allen I think Josh Allen would be mine maybe Stafford maybe oh. Stafford could win a Super Bowl but see, here's the thing I think you just need a guy that could play within the offense that's my thing like, you know, you look at what Drew Brees did for many years. If you just give me a guy that's smart and can play within the offense and use these playmakers we have on the field, even though there's questions as far as how good is Traquan Smith, Marquez Callaway, these wide receivers they currently have on their team, you still have some playmakers there. You're going to get Michael Thomas back. You have Elvin Kamara. You have one of the best offensive lines in football. Give me even a Jared Goff. I could even say I could potentially oh. make a Super Bowl just because Jared Goff is going to do what I tell him to do if I'm Sean Payton, similar to what Jared Goff did, what Sean McVay told him to do until he did it. I, I think that's where the Saints are having the issues they're having is that Sean Payton wants to almost restrict Jameis Winston to not make those Jameis Winston type errors. And that's why their offense seems like it's almost fighting against itself. I, I think if you just give me a guy that is just upstairs here in the brain, 
uh, able to do what I want him to do, I could win a Super Bowl with that guy. I think that's how Sean Payton thinks. And I think if you look at what they have defensively as well, because this is a defense-led team. This is not an offensive-led team like we traditionally think of what the Saints as. Mm -hmm. They can be a Super Bowl contender in that respect. So You've talked have- me down a little bit. I think the lowest I will go is Tannehill. I think Tannehill's the best I can go. If if Tannehill is their quarterback, maybe they can win a Super Bowl. Maybe. That's the lowest I will go on that one. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad that I could semi-convince you, my friend. Well, let's see what kind of convincing we have to do on this Sunday night football game. It is a good one. It has a lot of implications towards playoff picture here. We have the Dallas Cowboys coming off by Minnesota Vikings also coming off by. So both teams don't necessarily have the advantage in terms of rest here, though the Cowboys are one and a half point favorites on the road. As far as injury concerns, you know, Delvin Cook has been banged up throughout the year. You would think the week of rest did him some good. The Cowboys, they had that big walk-off victory against the Patriots. So the Vikings started to get it going a little bit. And if you look at the Viking season, it's one that it, it could be a lot better on paper. Obviously, you have like the walk-off field goal against Cincinnati. They lost another key game earlier the Cardinals in the season. One, too. Remember? The Cardinals the game, Cardinals. too, where they missed a field goal. So if you flip some of those coin toss games and they are just firmly in that playoff picture, now they're currently fighting for that six or seven slot, depending on where you look at the NFC playoff picture. I think the Vikings are going to be a playoff team because what they're doing offensively, it makes them at least a top 10 team in terms of the NFC. What they have offensively is some good pieces. Kirk Cousins is having a great year. Dalvin Cook is a top five running back. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen have been living up to their value. They don't have much in the tight end. And of course, that offensive line is always an issue with them. Their defense has been progressively playing better is one thing I will say. When their defense came into the season, I looked like, oh, this is the 2020 Vikings de- defense. This isn't a traditional Mike Zimmer defense that we've gotten used to. But no, their their defense has slowly gotten better. I think that's a lot of young guys just slowly falling into their role. When we look at the Cowboys, now you talk about a defense that we didn't think much of coming in the year. The Cowboys defense has been one of the bigger bright spots on this team. And then they should get like Michael Gallup back, I believe, too. So that adds another key piece to their offense when you get Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, and C.D. Lamb all running out there. Zeke and Tony Pollard have been running lights out this year. And of course, Dak has been playing well. Did have a calf injury in their last game. So that is something to kind of keep in mind. Is he going to be as mobile as Dak normally is? I'm going to defer to you as far as making the first pick here. So this one's tough because this feels like it's going to be a, the joke I used to make is the Falcons chaos game, which is the idea that the Falcons for like four years after that Super Bowl run would always play games where they would have 350 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, both teams score in the thirties. It's a toss up who wins. They'll win about 50% of those games. They'll finish eight and eight. Uh, That kind of feels like where the Cowboys are now is that they play a lot of those Falcons chaos games where they score 30 points, but they give up 30 points. But this year, the defense has been good enough in forcing a lot of turnovers, which masks a lot of inefficiencies on defense. They forced enough turnovers where now they're only allowing like 20 points a game. So here they are sitting five and one could have, should have, would have beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be six and oh, if Greg Zerline doesn't leave all those points on the field and the Cowboys feel like this week could be one of those classic chaos games where the Vikings aren't going to be able to stop anyone. You met, you talked about the Vikings defense being a little bit better this year. And, and while I agree with that, I think that the Vikings do need some more pieces in the secondary to help them out a bit more. So the Vikings currently are ranked sixth in defensive DVOA this year, which is quite shocking considering it felt like coming into this year, they were the same team as last year that finished 24th in defense. But then you add Daniel Hunter back to the team. Obviously, they brought in Peterson. He's battled injuries Rashad Breland hasn't been very good for them. So they're looking for pieces there in the secondary. The Cowboys obviously can hit you in so many different ways. To make this pick, I am going to go with the Dallas Cowboys to win this week, but it feels like another one of these toss-up games similar to the Titans and Colts, and I feel like I might be throwing this one away because I do I do really like the Vikings this week. I think the Vikings are kind of in that same territory as the Saints where they're kind of like battling for that seventh playoff spot in the NFC. They're really trying to grab hold of that last spot and maybe they'll both make it and not really deserve it, but they're both kind of fighting for that last playoff spot to just get to 500 at this point in an NFC that is super top heavy and then has like seven crap teams after that. 
So maybe the Saints and Vikings will get there. Um, but I know the Cowboys are good. How good? Not exactly sure. But I know the Dallas Cowboys are good. And so if you're giving me an option in this chaos game, I will take the Cowboys, even though I do think Kirk Cousins will have zero turnovers. And that will be the first time this year that the Dallas Cowboys will not have forced a turnover in a game this season. Yeah, that's an interesting prop bet there. I wonder what the odds are currently on that. Um, I will say, and this is a game too, you mentioned this, it's a toss-up type game. This is a game I could go either way on too. I mean, again, what does either team necessarily have a huge advantage over another in terms of like one key category? I'm going to say the fact that the Vikings are getting a little healthier coming in this game, having Dalvin Cook at full strength is going to help them have a great running game that's going to set up play action, and that's going to make the Vikings offense what it should be, a more balanced offense. They have the home field advantage going in their favor. I don't like the fact that the Cowboys are a road favorite. We talked about good home field advantages in the National Football League. When you start hearing that skull crowd going, I think the Vikings have one of the best in the NFL. I'm going to go with the Vikings this week. So a week in which we're going to be very um, disaligned. We're going to be against each other in a lot of picks. So should make it fun in terms of our pick them here. But I, I think the Vikings could do just enough offensively. I think the Cowboys have been riding on quite the high to this point in the season. And rightfully so. They've been one of the best teams in the NFL. I'm not going to take nothing away from them. But I, I think that this is the type of week where you're going on the road, you're facing another playoff contender that you end up dropping one, which nothing to be ashamed of when you're dropping one and you're still five and two at this point in the season. So yeah, I'm going with the Vikings. You are going with the Cowboys. That is it for our NFL pick them for the week. A lot of games that we are going to be against each other. Again, you are going with the Steelers. I am going with the Browns. Again, you are going with the Buccaneers. I am going with the Saints, Vikings, Cowboys, something else. I, we think we're both on Colts, the Chargers. Titans. Colts, Titans. There we go. See, I forget about the AFC South sometimes. I it's totally fair. If the AFC South floated off into the distance, like everyone jokes about Florida is going to like break off from America and just float out into the Caribbean. If the AFC South floated off the end of America, would anyone notice? It's like a tree in the forest thing. If, if the AFC South plays a game and no one's around to watch it, did the game ever even happen? I think I would notice Derrick Henry's size if he was on a different island. I think I would still be able to spot him like a nearby volcano. He's just that yep. much of a mountain of a man. <laughs> I will always be proven right, though. The AFC South exists to get the fourth seed in the AFC out of pity. They will play an, a playoff game on ESPN that ESPN will pay $600, $600 million for, and it will be not interesting at all. They will lose that playoff game to the five seed, and that's how the AFC South goes every year, except that one year that Ryan Tannehill beat the Baltimore Ravens in the greatest playoff upset of the last decade. Who is currently the four seed? I think it was in the be, AFC. Yeah. I mean, it's a very top heavy, heavy conference right now. I mean, you have, yeah, I you mentioned the Bengals the are five, five and, two. and two. You mentioned yeah. the Titans are five and two. The bills are five and two. So four and two, actually. Bills are four and two. Cause they four had to buy, I believe. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think the it's Titans Buffalo. have the breaker. Yeah. Buffalo yeah. might be that. And in the West, you also have the Raiders who are currently five and two. So Raiders are, I mm -hmm. think, the two seed at this point. So, yeah, it might be Buffalo. So, I guess Buffalo versus the Titans. I mean, or no, Buffalo versus the Raiders. Yeah, the Raiders, yeah. <laughs> no, not the Raiders. The Chargers. Oh, that's right. The Chargers are only four and two. Man. Yeah. yeah no, it, that, it, <laughs> no. Or, no, I'm not even going to pretend on that. I'm not even going to pretend Buffalo's a four seed. That team's going straight to the number one seed in the, in the AFC this year. They got the second easiest schedule left in the NFL. Yeah. yeah Buffalo should be pretty good this year. Before we close. Real quick, give me one person that is going to rise substantially in your next NBA power rankings update and one team that is going to fall substantially. Whew, that's a tough question. Do the Lakers deserve to fall? Because I feel like they've kind of turned it around after the uh, the terrible Anthony Davis-Dwight Howard fight. I thought that was kind of funny. I guess it depends. Um, Do you by think the way, still best, view them best, as top three? The Lakers? Well, I mean, based off your rankings, if we're talking about someone that fall, if you're talking about someone that drops out of the top three, then that's potentially a substantial drop. 
Yeah. I mean, power rankings are always difficult because they're kind of head to head, but I still think that the Lakers just by virtue of having those guys will still be favorites come championship time. So power rankings are always strange with that. You have to tell Um, me the bulls are going to be one of your best risers at 15. You had them. Yeah. Bulls are going to be in the top 10. That's for sure. Do the bing bong Knicks get to be in the top? Cause I, I disrespected them a bit by saying they were like 19 to start the year. So maybe I should give them the bump now because they're immediately going to fall down pretty quickly but I, the start of the nba season is always weird like i think the grizzlies started like four and oh one year and then ended up with like the third worst record in the league like the start of the nba season can be weird the the trust the process 76ers started three and oh and then like won four games the rest of the season like weird stuff like this happens in the start of nba seasons but i will say the hornets will rise Props to the Hornets at this point. They've been pretty awesome so far. Fall, hmm. What's a good fall team here? Let's see. I think, I think the Pelicans. I think the Pelicans might be a team that falls at this point. They weren't super high. Yeah, to begin an A with, team. But, yeah. But when I made the initial preseason power rankings, and this is amazing that this happened, was the day before the season began. And I had no idea Zion Williamson was going to be hurt had no idea Zion was not going to play to start the season. We only found out during the introductory press conference, he had a a secret surgery that he held from the team and they thought he was going to be good to go to start the season. But it's like, nope, he might be out like three months at this point. So if you take Zion off the Pelicans, well, then they've got no shot at making the playoffs this year. I know Brandon Ingram is still pretty good, but they've yeah. got no shot of making the playoffs. Well, I'll tell you, your number one team, the Nets, they are two and two. So, I mean, could they fall out of the one spot? I guess you can make an argument there. If they fall out of the one spot, then that's a pretty big fall in terms of ranking it to this point. I mean, you did have also... Uh, sure, you know, but when, when we do power ranks, I don't want to pretend like the Nets aren't like NBA champions. Oh, uh, like they, of course. But, you know, I mean, we still have to kind of give a little credit to the fact that some of the games they lost. I mean, the Hornets did beat them. That's something that came out of left field. And then uh, what What else, you know, who else got the went on them opening night? Then they lose, right? Yeah, they lost to the Bucs pretty bad at this point. So, that, so you that would say cool. maybe the Bucs jump them, right? Yeah, I, I would give the Milwaukee real... props there. Milwaukee probably gets to be number one at the end Bucks of the week. Bucs are three and one at the moment. Uh, you know, you have the Mavericks sell two and one. You could potentially drop the Blazers there at one and two at the moment. Yeah, but I don't think I had the Blazers very high to start the season. I think I had them like barely cracking the top 20. So I I saw that they haven't been very good, but I think I already had them pretty low to start the year. I'll self-deprecate a little bit. My Celtics are two and two. They're currently your number 11 team. Yeah. I mean, seeding, seeding's complex, but I, the Celtics had a bad loss in there, didn't they? Like, I, fe- I thought they lost to someone really bad. The Knicks two overtime game, you would say would potentially be considered a bad loss. Um, they, no, they, they lost to Bo- uh, not Boston. They lost to Toronto. That's there right. you they go. Got, that's, that's one got then, smothered by Toronto. Then you come back, you rebound, you beat the Rockets and they did beat the Hornets. They beat the Hornets in an overtime game this past week. So they're kind of just kind of like that mid type team. They're they're that like perfect team when you decide what's what's mid. The Celtics kind of feel like mid at the moment. I you know just what? I I will I will play devil's advocate towards your Boston Celtics. I think they'll be better by by the time December rolls around. I think they'll be better. I'm not going to pretend like I'm watching a ton of NBA basketball right now. We got the World Series going on. We got the NFL yeah. Sundays. Occasionally, there's a big college football game. Like I haven't been watching a ton of NBA at this point, but I will yeah. say I do think the Boston Celtics will get better once they have a larger sample size because. Yeah, they lose to they lose to Toronto pretty bad, but say they win that game like they will 75% of the time. Well, all of a sudden they've got the same record as the the Milwaukee Bucks and they're a two seed all of a sudden. So, you know what, Boston, you guys you guys are going to be pretty you guys are going to be all right. There, there's no reason to panic at this point. It's not going to be like last year. It's going to get better over there for the Boston Celtics. <laughs> all righty guys, well we talk NBA, NFL, college football, MLB, we went the circuit today. If you want more of our content, though, you gotta hit that subscribe button. If you're watching this on iTunes, go ahead and leave a five-star review. If you're listening to this on YouTube, go ahead and like this video. Check out our partner, gaymancoffeego.com. Yes, don't be a jump. Use promo code SUMP at gaymancoffeego.com when you use promo code SUMP. From Juju Talk Sports and Kyle Ledbetter, stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you on the next one.